Well, I think if the people knew what the banking system is up to, uh, as Henry Ford said, there would be a revolution tomorrow morning. Uh, the fact is most people think that what a bank does is lend you money that someone else has put in the bank previously. Um, but what a bank actually does, what a commercial bank does, uh, is to create money from nothing and then lend it to you at interest. If I do that, if I manufacture money in my own home, it's called counterfeiting. Uh, if an accountant creates money out of nothing in the company accounts, it's called cooking the books. But if a bank does it, it's perfectly legal. Uh, and so long as you allow fraud to be legalized, uh, then all kinds of problems are going to pop up in the economic system, which you can't do anything about. Private banks create money out of nothing and lend it at interest. Now, that sounds absurd. Uh, when I teach sophomores, you know, about money and banking and how banks, they never believe it. And so you have to go through it again and again. Yes, banks really do create money. They really do. Here's how it happens. And it's absurd. And they're right to to uh, doubt that that could possibly be what's really going on. But it is. Now, if the banking lobby is very strong, they're going to say, well, we don't want to change the system. We're making so much money out of it. What we have to do is, A, try and convince the people that it's their fault, um, that they're wage claims are too high and that's why we're having lots of inflation or people are speculating on housing and that's why house prices are going up. What they're not going to say is that this is happening because banks are creating money out of nothing and pumping it into the system. It is a banking cartel, an international financial cartel, which has the world by the throat. I've sometimes uh, referred to it as uh, like a serpent. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grammarica Show. We're going to be talking with Paul Hellyer, a little, I guess the Honorable Paul Hellyer, uh, a little bit later about all sorts of fun money stuff. And this is a good one, actually, because he really brings it down to a level that's pretty easy to understand. It's not overwhelming at all. Like it, some of those money ones can get real quick. Uh, but first, as always, Frazzlin Graham. How's it going, buddy? Where's the G word, man? I, I got called gullible today at work. So Did you? That would have been a good Graham, one. Yeah. yeah, that's a... And that's not me that's at all in the podcast. That's a good word but... to describe you. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> so I do want to say something if everybody's... Uh, if, if anybody's new or just listened to a few episodes, hang in there and don't be fooled by the casual... And unintentional, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> unintentional right. comedic atmosphere here at Gramerica because it really is some intelligent and open-minded and, uh, you know, balanced, well-balanced conversation with some interesting people. So hang in there for a few episodes and you'll get the gist. We're not just uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie saying, like, take off, eh? Are you just saying that because of all the feedback that says we're in a quiet taste? <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I'm just saying, like, it's, uh, hang in there. When I was a kid, I didn't like how beer tasted. (laughs) And look what happened. No, we do have have a Bob and Doug McKenzie style, which is pretty funny. When you hear people actually do the accent, the Canadian accent, you're like, we kind of sound like that. So, but we do want to thank everybody for the feedback too. It's it's awesome. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been good actually. It's been crazy lately. Everything it seems like uh, twenty fifteen. Everything just seems to be taken off. Um, Take off, eh? Yeah, 
take off. You hey. don't know that what that. Where yeah, that's I from, do. I you? watched yeah. one of the videos. Somebody said, <laughs> "Take off, hey." Yeah, I get it now. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, and then of course we got rid of the money bomb, and now if you do go to, I kept the money bomb link active. It just forwards to the new page, which is the support page. Uh, there's all sorts of new options there, right from a buck a month to 30 bucks a month. Um, you can still donate whatever you want. And uh, it's been good. I got a, a couple emails now with some music. Uh, people are starting to send over music. Uh, so that's great news. Um, and uh, it, it, like, I got to... I got to credit the 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 jump in everything uh, starting 2015 to people starting to spread the word. Oh, really? That's oh. good. So we've been pushing that kind of, right? Exactly. I think that's starting to catch on, people telling people, and uh, it's working. So keep it going. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, everybody. It's nice not to have to explain the money, Bob, anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. But, I mean, the thing is we do have expenses here, and we don't want to do any ads, uh, no corporate sponsorship, no links to any freaking Amazon portals or anything like that, right? So we just want it. We're fully listener supported. So if you feel like helping out the value for value model and you enjoy some value, just send a few bucks our way so we can uh, cover our expenses because that does grow slowly every month as well. Yeah, it seems to. We just started trying to put stuff on SoundCloud and that's going to be a little bit of an extra expense, but we think it might be worth it. We're going to try it anyways. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Always, it seems like it's always something. Yeah, there is. <laughs> Even like cords, cords and stuff. The cords. I keep going back to this to buy more cords. I'm like, how can we need more cords for the studio? You can never have enough cords. For some reason. Never have enough cords. And uh, that's just the way it is. Oh, tricky, tricky, tricky. So, yeah, we do a UFO quote of the week here in Grand America. It's a great little jingle there. I've just got a short one here, and it's... Is it uh, by Paul Hellyer? No, I was thinking about that too, actually. No, it's not by Paul. I figured if we have an hour of him. So, uh, I know that flying saucers exist because I myself saw one three years ago, and UN diplomats will not think I'm crazy for saying so. I'm convinced that persons from outer space are studying us, or perhaps living amongst us as earthlings. And that was uh, Prime Minister Eric Gary of Grenada addressing the 1977-1978 General Assembly meeting in the United Nations. Sweet. I'm just looking to see if I can find a uh, Paul Hellyer UFO quote to steal your thunder, but uh, it's not happening as easy as I'd hoped. No. That was a good one, though. Thanks, buddy. All right, what's yeah. next? What's next? Well, what do you want to hear? A synchronicity or some feedback? You want to stick along the topic of the orange the UFOs? And I got some orange orb uh, feedback. Sure. This was sent to us by Barry. He says he filmed... Barry Manilow? Barry. Did you just look at the back of the page to see what his last name was? No, I just wanted to see how okay. long it was. Um, I filmed mo- multiple orange orbs on December 31st, 2013. If you look at New Fork which is that uh, National UFO Reporting Center. There's tons of sightings of these orange and red orbs, which I'm certain you both have done. (laughs) It would seem Terry is onto something here. I'm glad he's connecting the dots. The ones I saw were flying very low and slow, almost like they wanted people to see them. I actually jumped out of my car at a red light and got the attention of the car next to me and yelled, look at the UFO. When they saw the orange pulsating orb, they gazed, they gasped in amazement. 
I did that to two drivers who were oblivious. There was something very strange right over their heads. Great show with this guy. So he's talking about our our uh, episode about the invasion, worldwide invasion of the orange orbs by Terry Ray. And uh, now that is some some cool action, eh? You see something like that? Get out of your car. Knock Start on somebody else. But see, like, it just shows you everybody's multiple people, multiple witnesses are seeing these things, right? Like mainstream, get your head out of your ass and look at the stuff. Bingo, bango. Yeah, that's why we're here. We wouldn't even be here if, it, if there wasn't a war on consciousness. We'll talk about that later. I'd still be here. <laughs> Probably wouldn't yeah, be podcasting, though. <laughs> I would just be upstairs watching TV. So what do you want next? Uh... I can't help but smile when that comes on. It was pretty good. Okay. I keep forgetting about this one. This is from Dave Truman. Hi, guys. I wanted to let you know how much I've enjoyed your recent shows. You two guys have a style all of your own. It takes a bit of getting used to, but now I'm thoroughly hooked. There's that theme again. When I finish this trip off at South America, I shall pop a few dollars in your account to help you keep up the good work. I have another synchronicity I must tell you about too. As I said, I'm currently on a trip in South America doing some field work for a book I'm writing on extremely ancient civilization that once existed here on the Alta Plano of Peru and Bolivia. I'm also seeing if I can get alternative information network established here too. I'm in Bolivia, but I made plans to meet someone way down south in Montevideo regarding the information network. This meant traveling by bus over many thousands of miles in several weeks. On Monday, I'd arrived at the border with Argentina and Bolivia at a small town called Villazon on the Alta Plano. I crossed into Argentina with no problem, but I only had Bolivian money on me. I learned pretty quick that there were no places on the Argentina side of the border that changed money. This is a very remote mountain region. So I decided to use an ATM machine. I found that none of my cards worked in Argentina. I went to my hotel, and fortunately, the owner said he'd accept payment in Bolivanos. Bolivianos, I think it's called. Bolivianos? I went to my room and opened my emails. My friend had emailed me to say that he couldn't make it to Montevideo when we had arranged after all. It was cold and raining, and I had just enough money to buy supper, but in Bolivianos. I asked in one of the town's three restaurants if they'd accept payment. There was no way they could do this, according to the waiter. I felt cold, hungry, hungry, and dejected. As I trudged my way back to the hotel in the pouring rain, I was in the sort of mood where you naturally stare at the ground while walking. As I did so, I noticed a banknote for 100 Argentine pesos lying in a puddle. I picked it up, turned on my heel, and headed back to the restaurant towards, th- looking towards the heavens saying thank you as I walked along. I didn't even bother to check the prices of what I ordered for supper, but curiously enough, the bill came to exactly 100 pesos. The next day, so no I headed back into Bolivia, where I was. That's what you got to say, eh? No tip? They don't tip in South America. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, I headed, he headed back to Bolivia. Pretty where broad statement. Yeah, where he's relieved to hear the, the rustle of banknotes prior to receiving some much-needed cash from the ATM there. I decided to friend and fellow investigator who lives in the Bolivan town of Uro to see if I could head over there. He was surprised to hear from me what, 
but told me that over the last year he discovered some incredible ruins on the southern Bolivian Altiplano that looked to be extremely ancient and which don't belong to any known culture. I took the next bus there. Make of this what you will. I'm still digesting it all. Dave. But that sounds like he's on a great adventure over there. That sounds Some fun. Fucking cool ancient ruins that nobody knows. You should tip though, Dave. Dave. <laughs> Was it Dave, Dave? didn't have any money left to tip. The bill came to like exactly a hundred pesos. We got one less thing. So what is the moral of that story? It'll give me the rundown. Don't keep your head up. Is there up. a synchro in there? Don't keep your head Can up. Is there something rateable? He was out of money and he was cold and hungry. He had no money on him. No bank machines to give him money. He looked down on a wet, cold, rainy afternoon or whatever, and he found a hundred exactly enough to eat by looking down at the ground. I think that's pretty, you know, that's, it's fun. I like those. Yeah, ones. that's pretty good. Yeah. Ask and ye shall receive. That's right. Six and a half. Don't keep your head down. Don't keep your head up. I mean, keep your head down. Look down, look up. Look down. I thought you're supposed to be looking up. That's a yes song. Look around. Do you know Yes? The band Yes? No. I just bought that album. You just bought it? Are yeah. they new? I just No, I, it's an old one. I've had it. I've owned it like five times. It must be good then. I'll, I'll play it for you one day. Perfect. It's really good. So, so um, I want to talk about a link that a listener sent us. A link? Yeah. In the chat room? Was no. that one of the chat room links you wanted? You were so oh, eager to get back to? I totally forgot about that. Nice. I got to go back to that. Damn it. Now they're probably Thanks gone. for reminding me while we record. <laughs> no worries. So he said, uh, uh, Tola, this is from Tola. She's a musician, or actually it might be a he. See, oh, this is bad. Should, they yeah, should you tell should me. never choose. You should just, just. I know. Yeah, I guess sometimes you have to say he or she. Yeah. It's a tough one. I'll tell you what, if you if you send us a note on the name that's ambiguous like that, you should probably tell us. I think I've already, we've already messed that up once on Grand America. Yeah. <laughs> Nikki Bettinelli. <Nope>. Yeah. <laughs> so he, she says, I'm a big fan he of the show. probably hates that we keep bringing it up. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the show and most of the stuff you cover. I've been listening to more Grand America this past week than MU and I'm on plus. Oh, take that, Ben and Aaron. <laughs> That's okay. Aaron's already blocked Darren from Twitter. <laughs> in any case, I have a project. It's been an idea I've had for a while, and in the last few months, I was finally able to set it up. It's called Anomalous. And it's essentially a library of anomalous experiences, or it could be. Right now, it has nothing on it, which is why I'm emailing. Do you have any experiences you'd want to share there, or could you pass along to anyone who might? I imagine quite a few of the listeners might have something. As to why I made it, it's basically there. It's basically that I was a web designer sometimes. A lot of the sites have these kinds of stories that are not cool looking. And sometimes they burn my eyes because they look like they were made in 1998. That was a good year. And I figured I'd give it a shot. It's definitely not the first of its kind, but if people use it, that would be totally rad. And I kind of, it kind of resonated with me because that's kind of why we do this show is a platform for people to share their experiences, right? And for us to talk about, you know, researchers and, and their experiences and stuff like that. So. Word up. What's the URL? It's, uh, I'm not sure, actually. Well, that's pretty I, important it, fucking piece of the puzzle. <laughs> it's anomalous. Something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll have to look that up uh, in the meantime here. Do you have anything to, to no, stall keep with here? It, I'll get it. Or you're getting it? Yeah, I'll get it. There it is right here. So I'll just have to, to link to it. It's uh, anomalous.co. Go? You couldn't yeah, remember? .co, yeah. 
Well, I didn't want to assume. It's usually .com or, you know, CA or something like that. So, um. What's co? I wonder. So I put my, I put my experience in there. One of them anyway, so. Oh, did you? She's also got, uh. Which one? He. What? Which one? The UF, my UFO sighting. Okay. Yeah. Your go-to? Yeah, kind of. I mean, <laughs> One of my other projects is Articulate Alternative, which is geared that way as well. And it's still in the early phases. Yeah, that's a, it's a pretty cool site too, a link to that. So I'm going to link to both those in the show notes. Sweet. Those are, yeah, that's a good good idea. Yes, put put something in there, but after you we email can, to yeah, me. Fuck and, yeah, and, put it in there, and then we can start going to that. That's a good to idea. To read people's stories. Yeah, instead of me trying to keep track of all my emails. Exactly. Uh, you already can tell it's becoming. <laughs> you've resorted to printing them out. <laughs> I'm just trying old ways since I only have one laptop to use here. And it's a PC. Yeah. That's it's a piece of crap. Yeah. It is a piece of crap. I admit it now. It only, boom. You hear that, folks? It only took how long? Two years? Two years, maybe? Over two years for you to finally admit Perfect. So we got some, we another. Can, we can stop the show now. <laughs> yeah. So I got another little synchro here. I don't know. What do you think of this? Uh, when people see numbers on their on their uh, clocks and stuff, I heard other podcasts talking about it, and some people either hate it or they love it. Nah, I I notice it all sometimes. Yeah, but I don't think. What's up, guys? Love the podcast. Well, I see one, two, three, four on my phone or watch at least once a day. The only time. I don't see it twice as if I go to sleep before 12.35 a.m., which isn't very often. I find it very strange that I see 12.34 twice a day, like 90% of the time. And no, I'm not glued to my phone. Keep the fuck bombs dropping, he says. <laughs> he says he listened to the Mushroom Podcast today. Super great. I'm glad you guys just hit the 100 mark. That's solid. Uh, he says he's excited to hear future podcasts and he'll donate and get an email when he can. Shake and rattle, fuck the rock and roll. That's from uh, Braden Saints. So thanks, Braden. Perfect. Thanks, yeah. Braden. I told fuck him yeah. I used to see 9 11. This girl I was dating way back then in like early 2000s. I always used to see 9 11 on the, on the clock. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you make a wish? Oh, I guess not. No. Do you make a wish at? I know. I think when I was a kid, you made a wish at one, two, three, four. Really? Yeah. I think I remember like waiting for it. I'd like peek around the corner, check the microwave. One, two, three, two. Okay. Is that a small northern Ontario town thing, or is that a who knows native thing? It's not a native thing. We don't have clocks, buddy. <laughs> no such thing as twelve thirty-four. And in a sense, we were right. What are you scrambling over there? Now you're scrambling ground. You went from frazzling ground to scrambling ground to rambling ground. Well, I want to read this, uh, this feedback that we got that kind of blew my mind. It was, uh, what? Nothing. I'm not saying nothing. It gave me shivers. It really did. Just because it, like people are seeing, uh, stuff in, in what we do that, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. It's actually Pretty mind-blowing, humbling. Humbling, for yeah. sure. Okay, ready for this one? It's a bit long, but it's pretty cool. Uh, congratulations on getting past the 100-episode mark. And this is from Bill, Bill L. I'm a relative newcomer to the show. I've listened to nearly half your podcast. He's been binging over the last couple of weeks. He stumbled on our show through YouTube, digging for anything featuring Randall Carlson. 
Both of his episodes were extraordinary, by the way. I've been researching and reading into the paranormal for hey, decades. side note, does it say, by the way, or BTW? BTW. Did you know that if uh, Siri comes across BTW, it knows it's by the way? Probably. It's just like why they change etc. to World Trade Center, WTC, on my phone. Did I think it's a setup. It so doesn't say etc. for me. It says, I, when I try to type in ETC, it always changes to WTC. Like, what the fuck? Why would it change it to world the shortening version for World Trade Center to get more people to type that in and is enter it capitalized? Text? Uh, yeah, hmm. that's an interesting one. I've been meaning that's to talk very, about that. That's the same as how the fuck did YouTube end or U two end up on my phone? I hate that when that happens. Does Siri say what the fuck for WTF? I don't know. I haven't tried it. Try it out. All right. So can I continue on? Sure. He says uh, he's been researching the, the paranormal for, or researching and reading into the paranormal for decades, mostly as an only a, a personal interest. Lately, I've delved deeper into actual research. I seek out authors, researchers, programs, etc., that walk the fine line between open mindedness and skepticism. As you know, paranormal research, like conspiracy theory. WTF. No. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Was that Siri? Yeah. On, on speed? I guess, I don't know. <laughs> I seek out authors, researchers, program, etc. that walk the fine line between open-mindedness and skepticism. As you know, paranormal research like conspiracy theory is full of enthusiasts who lack rationale and logic, and even worse, it's often maligned by established mainstream norms. But the revelation of new and alternative media is bringing together the initiated masses that realize there's a radical, mind-blowing information out there that is unavailable through traditional outlets. People are waking up and individuals such as yourselves are doing an excellent job at creating a global forum for honest, intelligent and accessible debate about all the intertwining topics of the paranormal. We need people who know how to do their homework. So please accept and enjoy this bit of positive feedback. Shows like yours and many of your counterparts are exactly what we need. Like so much of the feedback I've heard Graham recite on the show, I too didn't warm up immediately, but this is due to the unconventional format of the podcast. It can seem so casual and it takes a while to hear and understand your personal opinions slash attitudes and absorb the information provided in your show. I commend your ability to keep the show casual while addressing interesting topics. So many other podcasters attempt to promote their own brand of shock jockery. Everybody wants to be famous, and that kind of egocentric behavior gets in the way of the very valuable of the way of the valuable information. You guys do a great job at keeping an everyman vibe, yet your personal intelligence and knowledge shines through your line of questioning and choice of topics. He loves the episodes with RPJ too. Excellent dynamic you three have. And despite your modus of letting the guests do the talking, you still manage to be hilarious. Don't change a thing. I'm a fan of overarching theories and studies, what I like to call source theory. Might need to elaborate on the name. Comparative studies that cross over into different disciplines rev my engine. I like that source theory. That's. Uh, I was just watching some stuff on Source Field last night. Source Field? Yeah. Mm, from... Who, Lynn McTaggart? No, I can't remember. It was on a sacred geometry thing. Yeah, you got to forward me that one. I think I did. Maybe mm. I didn't. Did you watch Randall's sacred geometry yet on YouTube? 
Mm, I will watch some of it before I'm going to bust into that next. There's like eight parts of it. It's pretty, yeah. Just go through one to eight. Yeah, it's pretty fucking mind blowing. It, it is. He it, that'll change the way you look at sacred geometry. Randall Carlson's YouTube thing. I bought a DVD. Is are coming soon? Yeah, yeah. That's a good. It's. I, I'm falling into that hole. <laughs> I like it. Like the fucking edges slipping away. <laughs> <laughs> and and the edge of the crop circle slipping away too, isn't it? You want well, to that, those kind of fucking go hand in hand. Why? Because they were showing a bunch of these crop circles in this documentary that fit these sacred patterns. And I, I, it just made me wonder if that's a coincidence or if it's, if it's something going on, be it circle makers. Or circle fakers. Yeah, sure. Or um, maybe there's more to them than meets the eye. Or if it's just actually something affecting consciousness, because then the, this thing they they kind of went off into some other areas about consciousness and ascension and you know stuff that gets a little too deep for me. But it did make me when they started showing the crop circles, it made me kind of wonder if that's just kind of happening. So these so crop I'm circles still saying they're be... all made by people, but they're made by people for stranger reasons, maybe. Hmm. I'm still saying that they're not all made by people. Yeah, well, and nobody cares. And they're made for intelligent reasons. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's those crop circles that meet like the the circular theorem of geometry and the triangle. Yeah, like well, it makes you wonder if the progression because you can't deny the progression in crop circles, right? They went from shittier and slowly got better. Is that? I mean, and it's not like it's the same people doing it. So is that because people are trying harder or is that just because of something else? I mean, maybe it's the same in everything. We seem to be getting better at everything. Yeah, maybe it's just evolution. Yeah, it could be. Mm. All right, okay, I'm going to get back to this uh, email. Sorry for the, the tangent. So he says, I, I've read just about everything by Joseph Campbell, which is one of the larger stepping stones that led me to jump down this enormous, enormous rabbit hole. I'm a big fan of researchers and rogue scholars such as Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock, John, Th- John Anthony West, etc. I believe they are doing very important work that will eventually have an enormous global impact. Their personal projects have a way of connecting a lot of dots. And that's not an easy feat when you consider all the dots out there. And they make these connections using sound research and rational thinking. It's... It's this kind of research is bringing a kind of desperately needed revelation to the world at large. The individuals who simply refuse to dabble in bullshit are the ones who are going to make the most difference. I've completed all of Randall's online sacred geometry courses. And if it's funny, we just went into that tangent and have begun. Wow. I forgot to tell us. And have begun participating in that community. I've decided to be less casual in my research and expand my sphere in those areas. Now that I've got through the majority of your casts, I can't help but start connecting some dots of my own. If I have a talent, it's dot connecting. With luck, it'll pay off someday with some something beyond frustration. I think I can connect the dots too. Can you? Yeah. I disagree. <laughs> really? Well. I'm not as gullible as you I think. Maybe I think you just see dots wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> When I hey, when I found out about Santa Claus, Ooh, you know what I asked girl. my mom? Hey, quiet! I got kids. Do you know what I found out? What I asked her when she said when I found out Santa Claus was not real? What? Does that mean the Easter Bunny is not real either? Now that is connecting the dots. <sighs> that was when I was five or six. So 
Man. Real sleuth. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the tooth fairy? <laughs> no, she's real. Uh, money I would like to hear more of what kid didn't connect the dots. Yeah. When they found out Santa wasn't real. Uh, people in the, around the world probably have no idea what we're talking about Easter bunnies and stuff like that, but would they? I wonder if Easter bunnies. Anyways. If we were to take all your shows and put each into its own circle in a Venn diagram, the central intersection of all the overlaps would be, and I'm forced, if I'm forced to give it a term, the war on consciousness. This term gets thrown around often, and its elusive and vague de- definition irks me, yet I can't call it anything else. The internet is an extraordinary tool. They can't control it completely. It came into our world organically, like any other organism, and it's proving to be so many of us are true state of connection. See, I agree with this guy on so many levels. Like tendrils of mycelium, it stretches across the globe, delivering information. Some of it's certainly censored, but not all of it. I have a nagging feeling we'll eventually learn that this all reduces down to a simple overarching answer. We all have much to 42. learn. And I <laughs> seek only wisdom. If you're, if you're interested in uh, bringing on bloggers, please let me know. I have a background in writing and literature and love to write a book. Um, but he's still doing his own research and investigations and he hasn't quite found a thesis, a unifying thesis for book form. <laughs> I had something to say, but I won't say it. I was going to say you should talk to Fusco. He had a unifying thesis too and put a book out. Ideally, I would like to connect all these dots and tangibly define the war on consciousness in more certain terms. Good luck and thanks. If you ever find your way down to Atlanta, look me up and we'll get uh, fed and blah, blah, blah. Booze and shrooms for Darren, Pellegrino for Graham. <laughs> Pellegrino Graham. <laughs> Stay warm. I can't imagine a February in Calgary. If you need a break, come to the A. Take it easy. A. So thanks, Bill. What an email. Fascinating. Like honestly, I, I, I so much of that resonated with me. Like what we try and do here, um, and what we try not to do here, and uh, you know, to try to to walk that line and have some open mindedness and not be sort of extreme and and any of our dogmatic views, try not to have dogmatic views. And, and, uh, the war on consciousness, There's remember we talked about that, about that, like but it was about six months ago, we kind of thought, you know what? This all boils down to, it does. Most of our episodes boil down to like a war on consciousness, right? Yeah. This stuff just the not being accepted and looked at seriously by the mainstream, right? Whether it's about the financial system, which isn't even that deep into the conspiratorial realm. UFOs. Yeah. Sacred geometry. Yeah. Secret ancient history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Black eyed grams. (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it. There you have it. Yeah. Suppose that's a good note to get into hell year. I think we should. Yeah. (laughs) This is a good one. It'll fucking really make you wonder. See, the problem is, what do you do? It's tough, right? It's all or nothing. Either everyone has to get together and say, fuck the system, or you're fucked. Bitcoins are just plummeting. Yeah. Oh, I did want to talk about that, though. We we got some some quite a bit of response about our talking about micropayments and stuff. We actually got a couple micropayments. Oh, cool. Yeah, apparently it's already sort of out there. We're... Yeah, yeah. In the dark to how technology is just kind well, of surpassed. Prob- no, the problem is it's all a thing. Like, and it seems like a risky thing now, too. Like, who wants to go and put a hundred bucks of your real money into 
you know, unless you've got money to play with, who wants to go put 200 bucks into Bitcoins right now when they're like a fifth of what they were? Right. Fucking six months ago. Do micropayments have to come from Bitcoin though? No, but then the other ones are, you know, if Bitcoin's supposed to be the more solid one, what the fuck are the other ones, you know? No, but are they are they all cryptocurrencies, the micropayments, or does it can't you just do it through your... I, I don't know. Maybe you could. I don't know if the bank will process those payments. I think that that was the whole thing, right? Is I think it, it costs the easy. bank more that, yeah. to, to process a one-cent payment than... So you have to convert there's your probably cash like a, there's to a some minimum, sort of For sure, there's then, a minimum. Or the fee is going to be more than a cent. It's going to be more, more. It's going to be like yeah. a one cent payment, but a four cent fee. Kind of like PayPal, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is a good one to tell you. You guys should enjoy it. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, let's get out of this debt based economy. Bingo, bango. Yeah, and uh, is there anything else we need to say to uh, people? I just before? stop saying fucking bingo, bango. I've been saying that a lot lately. Yeah. I feel like yeah, Fuck. yeah. So uh, we have. Connor Habib coming up, and we also have a live show coming up this Sunday. We're squeezing it in as an episode, right? It's with uh, Evie or Evie uh, Lorgan, and we're going to be talking about How's anomalous trauma, E-V-I-E. Ooh, that's a tricky one. Yeah, that is a tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anomalous trauma, interesting stuff. I've got some super uh, personal uh, interest in that, some personal questions in that. And uh, can't wait to chat with her. And we're going to be uh, kind of plugging a live sort of uh, roundtable webinar coming up on the 28th and with her Rise Multiversity um, organization, R-I-S-E, Multiversity. And then we've got uh, Connor Habib coming up, super open-minded guy talking about uh, evolution, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, he's into uh, the gay adult uh, film industry. What else? Yeah, lots of stuff. Evolution. Yeah, and then we evolutionary have evolutionary uh, scientist, and we have Art Markman coming up as well, talking about uh, smart change, like the the way to break out of bad habits and stuff like that, and create new. Well, I'm in the middle of quitting smoking. Yeah, good job. You're doing good. Yeah, almost a month. Really? So that's I can get the definitive way of how to pronounce her name. What is happening? Well, nothing can ever just go according to plan. Evie. Evie. Evie, okay. There we go. Siri says it's Evie. Yeah. Thanks, Darren. So even if it's not, now she has to change it because Siri's spoken. Enjoy the chat with Paul. Hell, you guys. Hey guys, uh, Ingra America, tonight we're going to be chatting with uh, 
The Honorable Paul Hellyer. Uh, we've been looking forward to this one for a while. I know Graham's been following his work for, oh, how long, Graham? Oh, a few years, at least, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here, Darren. And like you said, uh, we've been looking forward to this for a while, especially because uh, Paul, Paul talks about some of the things we're interested in here, like uh, the financial state of the world and the kind of the conspiracy around that and UFOs is a familiar topic of his and so is climate change. So we're going to talk to Paul about this. Uh, Paul was uh, a senior minister in the Canadian government and most of our listeners have known known about Paul, but uh, recently, you know, he's been through business and all this kind of stuff, but recently he's written a couple pretty good books about these subjects. One was uh, at the Light at the end of the tunnel, and his latest one is The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis. Now, I've been waiting a long time to talk to somebody about this high-level financial corruption, like debt-based money and stuff like that. So uh, finally, we get a chance to to talk about all this stuff. So welcome to this show, Paul. Thanks for it's coming on. Pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, like uh, like we said, we talk about these topics a lot. So I guess... Um, I, I, I had your book out at the light of the end of the tunnel too. And um, this one you just came out with not too long ago, the money mafia. Do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about the difference? Cause there's obviously some overlap between them, but uh, the money mafia, you must get more into the financial aspect of this, right? Well, actually uh, there's about 20% of common material. Okay. Roughly in my opinion. And the um, light at the end of the tunnel was, I thought my last book. <laughs> Opus Magnum, as they call it, uh, but um, there have been so many things happen in the last four years that um, really concern me, and more than concern, really almost frighten me, that I decided, well, the people have a right to know what's going on. They, they, they don't have to live in ignorance of, as to what uh, the leaders are doing to them. They should be, uh, they should be informed. <clears throat> So um, I decided, um, well, after, uh, I decided about a year and a half ago, because I was at um, a hearing in Washington that you may or may not know about. Citizens yeah. hearing? The citizens disclosure hearing. Yes. And I spoke uh, for about 22 minutes at the end of that. And whereas all of my colleagues who are ufologists, at least a lot of them are, not all, because some are pilots and some are air traffic controllers and others. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in the final little time, I said, well, you really should know, put this in perspective and know what's going on. And so I um, I spoke in general terms for about 22 minutes. And that went viral with how many people, they have no idea. But, you know, the final, the last count we had was up in around four or five million. And um, so I, I knew there was an interest in these subjects, which I tied together. And also, when I added what I had learned between then and now, I said, I've got to write about it. So I started writing, and uh, it took me a little over a year to uh, to do the new book. And um, it, it sort of divided equally between the New World Order, mm -hmm. which is sort of the another word for the U.S. shadow government, but, but wider because the New World Order is really um, the creation of a cabal which includes the banking cartel that 
at its apex, and then the oil cartel, and then uh, the transnational corporations, and uh, and the military-industrial complex, I guess, right? Military-industrial complex, huge chunks of the U.S. intelligence communities, the CIA, the uh, the FBI, and the NSA, and uh, others. And uh, then a big chunk of the U.S. military. And this, it, this is a huge, huge operation, which, in my opinion, is sort of hellbent on World War III to, uh, to take over the planet. Which doesn't and, seem that far off at this point. They're, they're doing a pretty good job of moving in that direction, actually. <clears throat> and their, their schema, uh, which was just alluded to, uh, the military-industrial complex has been one of perpetual war in order to wear people down, put them terribly in debt, and do all of the things necessary to create a climate. When some people would say, yes, please uh, invoke martial law, because that would be better than having all of these things, these terrible things happening. And um, it's a long story. Um, it goes back at least, well, it, it parts of it go back for centuries, but the part that I'm most concerned about goes back to World War II. Mm. But even before World War II was over, an organization called the um, Council on Foreign Relations in Washington decided that there should be another empire to follow the, follow the one that the Germans were trying to put together. Mm -hmm. That one failed so that they would start another one, which was even grander, more grandiose, and would cover all of this the area of the German Empire plus uh, uh, United States, Canada, Australia, and countries in the uh, in the Far East, uh, in the Southeast Asia, as well. <clears throat> and so they've been working at it ever since. Yes, yeah, some might even say before before well, World yeah, War Two. Like some, some people might even say before, but they but they had their certainly they had their eyes on uh, Canadian territory from a way back, and they still do, and they would like to have us as part of this little empire. So they decided, I guess, uh, the easiest way to get us was just to buy us, which they've been working on for a long time, <clears throat> but also uh, to integrate our military and our our uh, defense systems and our uh, intelligence systems and so on to the to the point where ultimately we're just really another another state of the union. And <clears throat> And they uh, hooked up uh, an alliance with some other organizations that you probably heard of, the Bilderbergers, yeah. which is the second oldest. The Council on, uh, on Foreign Relations is the oldest of this gang, and they claim to be the leaders. They claim to be running the world, um, and to a large extent they are, but only with the help of the Bilderbergers that include uh, all of the senior bankers and uh, and people at the top of the uh, of the uh, financial apex <clears throat> and um, then uh, a number of years ago when Japan seemed to be like a rising star uh, uh, Zygmunt Brzezinski in the states uh, suggested to uh, David Rockefeller that they should have a new organization uh, to bring Japan into the uh, into the plot and so they formed the trilateral commission mm -hmm. <clears throat> And in my, uh, I guess in both books, I call these the three sisters. And I have a brief chapter uh, 
on them in the uh, in the latest book, the the Money Mafia, and um, so they they are part now of this broader cabal, as I call it, which have begun very soon after World War II, when the U.S. started uh, bringing in uh, Nazi scientists uh, to uh, help them win the war against Japan and ultimately against uh, the USSR and so on. And uh, they started uh, doing some things uh, out in the western parts of the United States, Nevada and, uh, and uh, Arizona, New Mexico. And uh, in effect, one of the things that they were doing, one of the most important things they were doing is, is uh, what we call back engineering. Um, space vehicles and they it's hard to know exactly when they started but the as you know there were two crashes in uh, in uh, New Mexico. 1947 yeah and one of them there was enough of the wreckage left to uh, to take to uh, US uh, bases and start back engineering and they've been working at it ever since and according to uh, to former head of the Skunk Works at Lockheed uh, uh, Aircraft Corporation, who was involved in what you folks know or call special uh, access programs. Special what? Ac- access programs. Skunk Works, isn't it? Special special projects, yeah, which we know as black operations. Yeah, that's the way they're usually referred to. Yeah, <clears throat> that um, they started working on these things. Uh, way back then, and the uh, even though President uh, Truman said that they could not bring in anyone with uh, who had had connections to the Nazi Party, of course, the military, who doesn't pay much attention to anybody, especially civilians, uh, didn't pay any attention, and so they just brought them in anyway. And some of them had been uh, quite staunch members of the Nazi Party, and they gave them new names and new. Uh, like vital curriculums and all the things necessary to establish them in positions of power without people knowing who they were. Hmm. These people started working out there, and uh, General Eisenhower, who was sort of the first one to cotton on as to what was happening, was concerned about what was going on, and he wanted to know what they were doing out there in Area 51 and Area S4 and so on. And so he asked them to tell him, and they wouldn't. So he threatened to send in the army. And uh, finally they capitulated, and three of his colleagues were allowed to go in and confirm that they had, in fact, been working on black engineering, uh, the vehicles and, uh, and the uh, weapons and other things associated with the extraterrestrial technology. Now, it's, it's interesting to me because probably... President Truman was the last president of the United States who was given honest information from his advisors. Certainly, uh, certainly the general felt that he had been betrayed. And when he made that famous speech of his on to the nation and when he was resigning yeah. as president, he said, beware of the industrial military complex. But according to a couple of witnesses, uh, 
that uh, Dr. Stephen Greer managed to find, uh, one in particular who had worked in the White House and was quite familiar with the uh, background. What he was really thinking about was that the ET file, as it's called, had fallen into the wrong hands. I think that's what, exactly what uh, what happened. Hmm. And there hasn't been uh, there hasn't been a president since who has been told exactly what's going on, according to a, a Canadian ufologist, Grant Cameron, who studies what presidents knew. Yeah, some of them have known a lot more than others, but none of them have been given the whole picture. Yeah, they've just been given enough to sort of keep them quiet, and. Uh, so here you're looking at a, an interesting situation where, where the president of the United States is not in charge, hasn't been in charge. The Congress of the United States is totally out of the loop. And I can verify that after being uh, at that citizen's uh, disclosure yeah, yeah. In, in Washington and, giving, and being there for five days with these six former congresspeople, and none of them had a clue as to what was going on out there, nor the fact that they had voted, without their knowledge, hundreds of billions of dollars, in fact, trillions, but by one means or another, to do these things that they didn't know anything about. So none of the, the presidents have been running the United States, the Congress hasn't been running the United States. So this cabal, as I call it, shadow government, whatever, that has designs on a bigger empire and taking over the world and installing a totalitarian government. It, uh, it has been running the United States and much of the Western world ever since. And to go back to the military industrial part of it for a minute. Yeah. I'm sure you've, have you heard Carol Rosen's quote on this? Uh, yeah. Say it though. Von Braun, uh, the rocket scientist who mellowed in his uh, senior years. Yeah. And he said they had to have an enemy. And this was to justify huge military expenditures because the U.S. didn't really have any en enemies. And so they didn't need to spend a lot of money on, uh, on the armed forces. But in order to do the things they were doing under black ops and so on, they had to get this huge amounts of money flowing in. And so they had to concoct enemies. And uh, Werner von Braun told uh, Carol Rosen that for, he said, first it will be the communists, then it will be the terrorists. And then it will be the, the extraterrestrials. And this is the plan that they've been following, and they seem to be going right along exactly as it was planned. And so you find that all of these wars that have been fought in recent years have been wars that were instigated largely by the CIA in order to provide food for the cannons, to provide money for the pockets of the industrial military complex, and to see that they were well looked after and that they could uh, get everything they want. So that's a pretty scary scenario. Yeah, well, and you even hear people talk about World War II being more about um, Germany disconnecting from the central banking system than anything else. Well, that's an interesting thought because uh, there are a lot of people that claim that some of the recent wars have, uh, have had that as an underlying uh, cause too. And certainly the fact that uh, Saddam Hussein was uh, going to denominate his oil in uh, euros instead of uh, United States dollars yeah. did not sit well with the, uh, with the people running the world. And uh, they would be pretty unhappy about that. 
But um, the other th- another thing, and we'll come back to the money business in a, in a few minutes because yeah, yeah, that's sure. one that sh- should really spend some time on. Yeah. But um, an- another aspect of the thing is this idea of telling lies. And the day that the crash occurred, one of them, in 1947, July 4th, at uh, Roswell, near Roswell, New Mexico, um, the base commander put out a, a press release saying that it was a flying saucer. And that was the truth. And later in the day, his area commander, Brigadier General, put out another press release and said, no, that was a mistake. It wasn't a flying saucer. It was a, a balloon, a meteorological balloon, weather balloon, and had some pictures uh, that never were very convincing. But he got the establishment newspapers and outlets in the United States to go along with that version. And that was sort of the beginning of a culture of lying. Now, is that a coincidence that the CIA was formed uh, a couple months after that? Say again? Is that a coincidence that the CIA was formed a couple months after that? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Because it, it has been, it is one of the most, um, I'm trying to think of a nice word, I can't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the worst organizations in the world, almost from the outset. And it has caused more wars, insurrections, riots, overthrows of government, and support of the wrong governments than just about any, probably any organization in history. Hmm. And, and bankrupting companies or countries too. Say again? And bankrupting their fair share of countries for natural resources and whatnot in the process. Yeah, with the, with the help of the money mafia. So um, I've, I've just... Uh, thinking about some things the last few days, and I was thinking that the NSA and the CIA, both the United States and the world would be better without either one of them. And uh, even if we could get them cut by 50% over a period of two or three years, that would be a a tremendous step forward. And and one that, well, it's all, it would be a miracle. But somehow we've got to get the people of the United States to understand what's going on. And that, of course, is the purpose of my book. Yeah. And then to act on it, because there's no sense there's no sense even buying a book unless you, A, read it. And in this case, say, action is called for. This is a call to action. And uh, we've got to do something right away, or it's going to be too late. And that means as far as the future of the world is concerned, means as far as global warming is concerned. And it uh, it has all of these uh, these different aspects to it. So uh, the the apex, as I said earlier, of this whole uh, of this whole gang, I call them the UF the the uh, New World Order gang. Sometimes when I get uh, sort of riled up, <laughs> uh, the the apex is the is the money mafia. Yeah. Which is another, I think, more a more uh, precise definition for it than the banking cartel. It is a banking cartel, an international financial cartel, 
which has the world by the throat. I've sometimes uh, uh, referred to it as uh, like a serpent going round and round the economies of various countries and tightening up more and more until they just it squeezes the lifeblood right out of them. And it's, it's like a serpent in this way, too, that there's only one way to get it, and that's to cut its head off. And so the answer to that riddle is government-created money. Let yes. me uh, go back about 300 years and briefly talk about how the, the system became as rotten as it is today. All right. If you go back to uh, the days of uh, just before the uh, Bank of England was, uh, was uh, formed, it, the, the, the king, King William uh, of uh, Orange, was fighting a war with France, and he ran out of money, and he needed to replenish his armaments, including his navy, but he had no credit. And so somebody said, well, why don't you form a bank? And when I say somebody, it was probably some uh, financial friends of his. And so he got Parliament to allow him to, uh, to charter the Bank of England with huge powers. Um, and they subscribed, the rich friends, a million two hundred thousand pounds in gold and silver. And that was the capital of the Bank of England. And they lent it all to the king at 8% which was a pretty healthy interest rate for government-guaranteed loan. Mm -hmm. So um, to show his appreciation, he said, now you may print, that's P-R-I-N-T, a million two hundred thousand pounds in banknotes and lend them to your rich friends at high interest rates, <clears throat> which is what they did. So in effect, they lent the same money twice. Once to the king, once to the rich people, um, and collected interest from both. So they were getting the interest, double interest on the same capital. Mm -hmm. Well, over the years, that ratio, which we call two to one, the leverage, there are a lot of different words for it, leverage, ratio, or whatever, um, has become much more generous for the banks due to their their Greed? Ins insatiable greed, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, well, you've got it right, right dead on. Due to their insatiable greed and the, the collusion of politicians, um, it has increased ever since. And in the early days of the uh, 20th century in the United States, <clears throat> the uh, federally incorporated uh, banks had to have a gold reserve of 25%. Uh, which means that they um, that they can lend the same money four times. In Canada, when I was young, they had to have a, a cash reserve. The banks had to have a cash reserve of eight percent, hmm. which meant that they could lend the same money twelve and a half times. Well, then in the 1970s, when Milton Friedman and his wild-eyed ideas came along, sort of deregulated banks and self-regulation and all that sort of thing. Uh, with the help of the Bank for International Settlements, uh, with its uh, tainted uh, Nazi background, uh, they managed to get that ratio up to 20 to 1. Huh. Lend the same money to 20 different people and collect interest 
from each one. Now, the reason I call it the money mafia is because you've probably been following the uh, the uh, investigation in Montreal, where this uh, Sicilian um, mafia allegedly were taking two or two and a half percent off the top of the uh, of the contracts. Uh-huh. Well, that's 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 pretty bad. Two or two and a half percent that the taxpayers have to pay uh, over and above what other otherwise the cost would be. Yeah. But that's nothing because compared yeah, to mark that up ninety five percent. They take ninety five percent off the top. Yeah, absolutely. And so people just don't understand this. They can they can take a million dollars of what I call blood, sweat, and tears money, and under the law as it is at the moment, they can provide credit loans, which we call money. It's really bank bank deposit money, virtual money. Of 20 times that, 20 million. And the people that they lend it to have to return 20 million in what I call blood, sweat, and tears money, money that involved real work, plus interest. Yeah. Now, talk about grand larceny. If you can beat that one, boy, I'd like to know what it is because you, you can't make money like that by robbing banks. No, you'd have to, not unless you rob a lot of banks. <laughs> I don't think you'd get away with that. But if you have a bank charter, you can get away with robbing the people to that extent. So I just want to break that down again, because just to make sure everyone picked it up. So basically, if if the bank's got a million bucks of my money in the bank, yeah. they only have to hold 5% of that. The other 95% they can lend out. Or they can lend that million dollars out to 19 other people. So they just put a million dollars in each of their accounts. They could leverage it up uh, 20 times. Yeah. Yeah. So, that they so have that's why assets. you can't take out more than, you know, because you ever try to take out five grand from the I, bank I for know. something? They're they, like, oh, no, you got to wait a couple of weeks. Why don't they weeks, get all funny? And, They're asking you questions. Yeah, what do you need it for? Yeah. And, oh, it's frustrating. But, but most, most people don't know where money comes from, and that's the reason I've written so many books on the subject that everyone has studious, uh, studiously ignored. Yeah, it, it is literally just fucking typed in on a computer. Yeah, it's, Poof, it's, here you go. It is just absolutely wicked, really. And uh, in, this, in this time period, too, we have, we have given the, uh, the private banks a monopoly to create money. So that there's no way you can get money except to borrow it if you want to increase the money supply. And this, this is so dumb that a you know a 12 grade 12 student could figure it out in a matter of minutes. If you create all of the money, which is what's happening now, and I said with 97%, but let's call it call it all, you create all of the money as debt. And it's all debt which has to be repaid. It's all debt that has to be repaid with interest. But no one creates even the money to repay the interest, let alone the debt. What do you have to do? Well, the answer is go deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. Yeah, yeah. Just to try and keep your head above water, which is almost impossible.
So, and, and when we talk about it like this, it almost it sounds personal, right? Like we're talking about personal loans or corporate loans and that type of thing. But what you're also mentioned saying is that it's at the it's at the national level, right? Like at the uh, you know the they're doing it to the government yeah, at the same time. Yeah. Oh well, sure. We the people own the patent. The banks don't have any rights. That's something that most people don't understand. They they have no right to have a monopoly to create money. They have no rights to create money, period. They're licensees. They only have rights that politicians have given them. And what politicians have given them, theoretically, they can take away or alter, which is, of course, what I'm I'm suggesting that uh, that be done. And so when you look at the United States, for example, and uh, and you see them fighting for weeks or months every year about increasing the debt limit by a trillion dollars or a trillion and a half. Uh, it doesn't really have to be. It's because Congress gave away their right to create money 101 years ago when they formed the uh, Federal Reserve System, which is owned by the private bankers, the 0.1% of 1% that we talk about who own such a fantastic proportion of all the, the uh, world's wealth. So this so, seems like I've heard you, I've heard you talk about um, seven years before. Um, so I wouldn't mind maybe while well, you're here, like you, you figure this could all be, if, if we started today, you figure this could all be kind of, we could write the ship in seven years. Would you mind like laying that out for us? Exactly we, how, how we, we go about that. We could write in, we could write it in less than seven years. We could we could do the whole thing that has to be done in seven years, but we could get the the steamboat upright very fast. But let me go back in history just a little bit, so for people that haven't gone through it, haven't lived through it. In 1938 in Canada, there were no jobs, none. 1939, long comes the war, and pretty soon everybody's working, either in the uh, either members of the armed forces or building munitions or building factories. And we, we got down to a, a historic low 1% unemployment. Just incredible. We, we wouldn't want to go that low today, but if we could even go down to half of what we have now, that would certainly uh, be a, a tremendous improvement. And that would be something we could accomplish in a couple of years if we follow the formula that, that uh, some of us are recommending. So, this, this is, and of course, the question you ask is, where did the government get the money to pay the members of the armed forces? Because in those days, they paid us cash. And you'd line up uh, at the end of a table, and you'd uh, get down to the end of the line, and they'd peel off a few dollars for you in cash. So you might say, well, where did the government get that money? Well, the Bank of Canada printed it. P-R-I-N-T-E-D. And... The way it worked was the government would give them a piece of paper called a bond, and the uh, and the Bank of Canada would pay them cash for it. They would spend that money into circulation to do pay the armed forces and build factories and so on. Then it would go in the uh, private banks where it was called high-powered money, and this would be the the uh, kind of money that the banks could use to leverage up more credit and. Uh, and get the economy rolling. But the interesting thing is that, that because we owned the Bank of Canada, that the, the interest 
that the government paid the Bank of Canada on those bonds was returned as dividends. Huh. Ah. So the net cost to we the people was just a little over zero, just the cost of administration deducted. And that huge amounts were involved. And that's what got us out of the Great Depression and helped finance the war. And then after the war, it was used to help finance the, uh, the Trans-Canada Highway, the St. Lawrence Seaway, the new airport terminals, and to help lay that uh, social security system, which uh, was considered one of, the, uh, one of the best in the world. So this is the way it was until 1974, when Gerald Bowie, the governor of the Bank of Canada, without any advice or consent from the government of Canada or Parliament, either one, and I'm pretty darn sure of this because uh, uh, John English, who did Trudeau's biography, I asked him if there was anything in there about conversations with between uh, uh, Trudeau and Bowie, and he said there were none on this subject. Hmm. And I got permission to go through that part of uh, Trudeau's uh, um, papers, and I couldn't find a single thing. The only, the only thing was that Bowie said the Bank of Canada was going to adopt uh, something called monetarism, which I sometimes call Friedmanism, this new idea. And so he made a speech to that effect. Uh, I forget, somewhere out in Western Canada, I think it was in Alberta, but I'm not absolutely sure. It could have been Saskatchewan. Maybe it was. But that was the only indication. Now, what it really was, was Canada, the, the Bank of Canada signing up to take its orders from the Bank from International, of International Settlements from Zurich, in Zurich, Switzerland, this bad mm. bank that I was telling you about, which is sort of the apex of the, uh, the control. The head of the snake? Pardon me? Is that the head of the snake? Yeah, well, but it's, uh, I guess it's, part, it's, it's where the, the snake hides its brain <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and they made two decisions. One, they would try and control inflation by beating the daylights out of the economy and putting people out of work and bankrupting their, their businesses and, and taking their homes away from them. And the other one was that they would no longer, they would no longer create money, low-cost money for governments. Now that wasn't taken by us, the shareholders. That decision wasn't taken by the government that allegedly represented us because we we elected them. That was taken by the Bank for International Settlements, in other words, for the money mafia. And uh, or mafia, my wife keeps correcting me. <laughs> Either way, you know what it is. It's like potatoes and potatoes. Yeah, and tomatoes. I and like tomatoes. mafia. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so uh, then, when the 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 central banks brought on that tor- horrible recession, eighty one, eighty two, and put millions of people out of work and uh, people ba- into bankruptcy and all that sort of thing, we went into deficit. It was rolled over into debt. Then they did it to us again in 1991. And so when we had to borrow to meet that deficit, we had to pay market rates. So in 1881, the the, uh, government of Canada was borrowing money from the rich people of the world for more than 20%. 
So the debt at 20 to 22%, the debt doubles every four years. Hmm. And you get into this horrendous situation. Now, have you any idea how much that has cost us since? I don't know, but it seems like a bell curve I don't want to get into. I'm, Ellen Brown, um, the California lawyer who was probably one of the world's experts in, in money matters and who wrote the web of debt. And anyone who wants to understand money should read the first hundred pages of it. I, that gives you a pretty good idea. But she gave, put out the number and it was so big I didn't believe her. And this and is Canada it, you're talking about, right? Pardon me? This is just Canada, right? Yeah. And uh, so, and I, I'm ashamed to admit that because she's, she's as near perfect as she can get in this business. And so I, as a privy counselor, I can have uh, the services of the Parliamentary Library, a research group. So I asked them how much it was. And they wrote back and said from seven, fiscal 74 75, when the game changed, the 2010 and 11, it cost Canadians one trillion one hundred billion dollars in interest, huh. and none of that was necessary. Huh. Can you imagine what we could do with a trillion bucks to start building, doing all sorts of things, uh, shortening waiting lines at the uh, at the hospitals and uh, and building uh, infrastructure and uh, building fast transportation systems and and starting to do become a research country again instead of uh, shutting down all of our research facilities. And this was all because the money mafia took over the management of our country. So that'd be conservatively like forty or $50,000 out of every Canadian's pocket. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a huge amount of money. Yeah. Let's go back. That's only two years second. of tax, really. <laughs> for one second, you were asking about this this ninety five five thing. I often use this, the the idea of a student loan, and my I was a, a veteran, so I had let the had the privilege of letting the taxpayers pay my tuition. But um, today, as you know, lots of students are pay, having to borrow fifty thousand dollars. To, uh, to finish their studies. When you look at it from the standpoint of what I just was talking about, a bank needs $2,500, my arithmetic hasn't failed me, in blood, sweat, and tears money, to lend the student $50,000, and the student has to repay $50,000 and blood, sweat, and tears money, plus interest. Yeah. yeah. Now, you can't build a country that way. And it isn't fair to, to the young generation. It isn't fair that there are a million people unemployed, which they don't have to be. Now, to come back, finally, to your question about seven years, a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, <clears throat> a group of uh, of people that really are concerned about this issue sent both the Prime Minister and the Minister of Finance a letter with a proposition. Actually, we, we sent it later to all members of Parliament, of all parties. And that was that they, they changed the system and go back to something similar to what we had um, prior to uh, 1974. In other words, 
that the Bank of Canada, which we own, start working for us again. Shareholders, that's the way the system is supposed to work. And not for the richest 0.1% of 1% uh, of the people of the world. And um, what we were suggesting was that they change the system over a period of seven years to the point where we, first of all, since... In 1991, we abandoned cash reserves altogether so that our banks only have maybe a cent or a cent and a half of, of, real, um, of real money in their vaults for every dollar you think you have in the bank. A cent or a cent and a half of legal tender is all they have. And to raise that, not just to 8% the way it was prior to 1991, but to raise it to 34% over seven years. And in the process, get the economy up and running, first of all, by, if necessary, changing the law so that the Bank of Canada could accept shares in Canada, common shares, non-transferable, non uh Callable, just just perennial shares in the in Canada, and are suggesting a, a nominal value of ten billion dollars each, and that they print fifteen of those a year for seven years, roughly, uh, uh, fifteen a, uh, a year for six years, and then whatever is necessary to make up the thirty forty percent to thirty four percent in the seventh year, <clears throat> and. Uh, that would be $150 billion a year and split it between the provinces and the federal government. And this would be on the understanding that the provinces would take care of the municipalities so that they could do their things that they have to do, uh, as well as the, the provincial governments being able to do the things that they have to do. And this, it, you know, it would make so much difference. And sorry, that would that would be like in the form of stimulus, like fixing roads, fixing parks, stuff like that. It's, it's just like getting that much of a tax revenue without having to take it from the uh, the pockets of the people. Okay, you, you could call it a growth tax, hmm. but it's it is money that you can create because they could the government could borrow that much money if they wanted to, but then if they borrow it from the private banks, they have to pay it back with interest. If the Bank of Canada creates it, then first of all, you start diluting this ocean of debt that the world is drowning in so that you could balance all the budgets, Canada, the U.S., and elsewhere, at the federal, provincial, and municipal level. Even the first year, you could almost, you could almost, the first year you could balance all the budgets because in, in Ontario's year, for example, I think of the 150 billion uh, would be 38 billion, which is more than enough to balance the budget and stop doing all the cutting they're doing. And the same thing in Quebec. Quebec is worried about three or four billion. They would have far more than that. They wouldn't have to cut back. They wouldn't have to raise uh, student uh, student uh, tuition fees and so on. And it it would be the the equivalent of a modern miracle. And there is nothing phony about it. It is just using your power in a way that is good for the people so instead of uh, turning it over to a bunch of uh, rogues uh, to 
to accumulate most of the assets of the whole world. Yeah, yeah. So how do you slip that through the cabal, speaking of the cabal? Pardon me? How do you slip that through them? I mean, you know, they've got a lot of power. And look what happened to to, Gaddafi and all these other people that wanted to do that. You don't have to do slip it through the cabal. If Canada's uh, situation, for example, you just just cut the bond with the Bank for International Settlements and uh, and take control of your of your own central bank and do it, and you wouldn't be a month or at least you wouldn't be more than a few months into it, and people saw how it was going to work when it would just spread around the world. And <sighs> what it would do is, over seven years, it would reduce the ratio. The leverage, as we were calling it earlier, from twenty to one, which it is now, to two to one, which it was in the time the Bank of England was uh, was incorporated, hmm. and that would still mean that the banking system could survive, that it would have enough credit creation uh, uh, power to help small business get started, to help small businesses to expand, and so on. It wouldn't have money for uh, for all of the exotic things that they do, which uh, they use to s- skim uh, the uh, top off our earnings worldwide, play around in, uh, currencies, and uh, and you know all of the things that they're doing that are wrong. They wouldn't have the money for that, but they would have enough money to do the things that are right. There would be nothing, really, not much more than a public utility, which is what they. Uh, what they should be hmm. at the end of seven years, um, because there would be more money created than was necessary. We have, would have been able to either pay down the national debt by probably twenty-five or thirty-five percent, or spend a little bit of it to uh, to help uh, less uh, wealthy countries around the world to get their uh, get their act together, and so we could all start working on. Uh, on saving the planet and uh, and uh, subsidizing the introduction of exotic uh, of exotic fuels and so on to uh, to create the miracle of uh, of putting the flames out of our house. Our house is on fire at the moment, and we have to do something about it and do it real fast. And uh, so, the, some of the poorer nations of the world would need some help, and we would have the fiscal flexibility. We, the richer people. But have the fiscal flexibility of being able to help them do that. Hmm. So, <laughs> is this kind of the model that Iceland's gone down? Like you hear everyone talking about Iceland. I, I must admit I don't know a whole lot about it, but how they've kind of gone with a different model and they put some bankers in jail and yeah, they they, they cut themselves loose from the from the gang. And nothing seems to have happened to them yet. They're still they're alive and prospering. No, no, he, Darren means like. Uh... Like nothing negative, right? Is that what you meant, Dan? Yeah, like yeah. no weird things. Like suicides and stuff like that. Yeah, or some weird, you know, Iceland's got, Iceland's All a terrorist. Sudden, yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden they become a terrorist uh, organization, yeah. <laughs> so is is that the model Iceland's doing? Like, is that basically, are they the model to follow right now? Well, to be honest with you, I haven't, I'm not enough up to date on their model to to comment on it. But this one I know well because we've been promoting it for about three years now, and I'm promoting it in my book. Yeah. And I would like to see it uh, become a model for the world. But it's got to start somewhere, and it's got to start where the people own the bank, and that would be in Canada or Great Britain. 
and uh, they couldn't start in the United States, which where they have they have to get rid of the of the Fed. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I recommend: the Fed has got to go. There will be no peace on earth no. and justice until the Fed is taken out of existence because yeah. it is nothing but a tool for the richest. 10, one or 2% of the 1%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about this a little bit. So it's such a, at the highest level, it seems so simple in a way. And, and it's so nice to, for you to talk about it because I tell, I talk to people in my day to day life, whatever, because when you hear people talking about all these economic problems and unemployment, all this stuff, and you realize once you kind of wake up to the fact that, that uh, all this money is being loaned to the nation's at debt, like all this other stuff just doesn't seem to have the same weight, but people still don't really get it, right? You say money is debt, and they they don't understand the fractional reserve thing, but it's it is kind of simple, I think. And and you've laid it out here in your book with the you know how to how to fix the problem. And so, have you seen an increase in the awareness of people though over the last couple of years? And I do want to mention there's a there's a documentary that you play a good part in uh, called the Jekyll Island that I'll put I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But have you seen a, an increase of awareness over the last couple of years? I, I guess there, the answer has to be yes, but it's so minuscule that it it is nowhere near what's uh, needed critical mass, as you would say, with yeah. an atomic bomb. And somehow we've got to get it up to critical mass so that people start to demanding action. The other thing, sorry, the other thing I wanted to mention that that sort of dwarfs all of our little economic problems, and you put you talk about it in your book. There's two things that really jumped out at me. Is one is the Fed and uh, their little under the table deal with all the banks, and then the other thing is the interest rate swaps and the 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 sheer volume of that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because when people start hearing that, it's got to put things into perspective. Well, the, yeah, the, the interest rate swaps are are derivatives, and they're they are reaching the level at the moment where the the numbers are astronomical, and if there, there could be a terrible crash if anything really went wrong with the system. And the problem is, as long as the the money mafia is running the show, they can they can crash it anytime they want to. Yeah, exactly. And they have. They did in the in 1929, and uh, and they did for the uh, the t- the two uh, big recessions in 81, 82, and uh, 1990, and then they did for this uh, what we call a great recession that's going on now. And this this was an inside job, and so as long as you have the the present uh, setup, um, they they can just well virtually do almost anything they want. And you've seen the uh, result of it with the Fed the last three years with what they call uh, quantitative easing, which is a nice uh, way of saying printing money. But it sounds better for the public because the public don't like the idea of printing money. Uh, And so the money they printed, which was trillions of dollars, all went into the hands of the banks. And very little of it ever got into the, into the hands of the public. And the banks used it for buying up assets. That's one of the reasons the stock market has been so strong in the United States, is because they could borrow money for zero from the, from the Fed and then buy uh, 
blue chip uh, stocks that paid three, four, five percent interest. Well, that's a nice game. And they've been able to do it to the tune of tens and hundreds of billions of dollars with all of this money that the, the Fed created for them. And then worse than that, they've been getting into some other people's businesses like oil and uh, food and, and ports and things like that. And that, that is just how rotten the system really is. I use that word after discussing with my wife for a long, long time, but I just showed her so many reports of banks cheating that she finally sort of capitulated and let me use the word rotten, <laughs> rotten, the core of the system. And it's going to stay that way as long as the, bank, as the Federal Reserve System is there. So uh, we've got to get people both knowledgeable enough and angry enough to demand some changes. And that's, uh, that's one that should be very near the top of the, well, it should be immediate. And of course, I also just suggest that uh, President Obama, who I'm going to uh, uh, help would uh, change his ways, break away from the cabal and, uh, and start leaving, leading a, what I call a moral, spiritual uh, revolution to reverse most of the things that have gone wrong in the last 40 years, for 50 years, um, that he has the power to, to uh, mint these uh, platinum coins, and he could do a couple of those, uh, a trillion dollars each, and uh, split one with the, the states and use one for the uh, federal government to start stimulating the economy and giving the people, ordinary people, a break. Because if you look at the figures that have come out in the last few days, of the proportion of the wealth owned by such a small, small group of people, it is just mind-boggling. Well, Paul, I want to talk to, uh, in your book here, speaking of that, you say the interest rate swaps are now a $426 trillion business, and that's coming from, like, businessweek.com article. Uh, right. That's trillion, like, with a T. So, yeah. I mean, all other measurements you would think when when this is going on and it's not even based on the production of anything really isn't it isn't it just a bunch of people swapping shit on uh through the through the uh stock exchange like how how can anything measured below that mean anything if you've got hundreds and hundreds of trillions of dollars being you know well, swapped around the world it's, it's all just part of the pyramid it's all part of the ponzi scheme and and it could crash anytime hmm. But it doesn't need to crash if we change the system uh, totally so that banks don't have the power to do that sort of thing. And, and we should also, I think, have a, um, a Tobin tax on, uh, on the exchange rate business to slow down this uh, tendency that they have of, of turning over trillions of dollars a day in foreign currencies, and just taking off a little, little bit off the top every time the uh, trade occurs. And they had IBM uh, work on some, uh, some software for them that works so fast, faster than the eye can, can blink, that, uh, they're, you know, it is, again, you can, you can phone in a trade, you can whatever, and they can beat you to it and take it for a few bucks uh, every time you try to do something on your own if you're a small guy. Huh. So, uh, man, I have so many questions. 
there, uh, there's one when I talk when you talk about the cabal and the three sisters, like it seems to me like the the Bilderbergers and and maybe some of the other two groups or the Trilateral Commission and the uh, Council on Foreign Relations are kind of henchmen or like pawns for the 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 few people at the very very top. I mean, have you have you ever speculated about? who's at the very top? Is it just like the, you know, the five richest families in the world or, cause I mean, they can't be, it seems like that's a public, those three sisters are like a public face of the secret society in a way. Is that going well, too far? There's only one of them that's really public and that's the trilateral commission. The uh, council on foreign relations uh, has a lot of, of public face the Bilderbergers are total secret, uh, so totally secret to uh, the extent that they can get away with it, and it's only uh, thanks to Daniel Estulin and his uh, book, "The True uh, History of the, of the Bilderbergers," that we have an idea of what they are really doing. Yeah, <clears throat> but I think it was uh, Bill Moyers, the uh, a U.S. investigative reporter who worked for Public Radio, um, who traveled around the world with. Um, David Rockefeller for a couple of weeks and in effect found out from him that there are something like 10 to 15 people who determine the allocation of credit worldwide. Ah. So that, that's just a, and he didn't give any names. Although I think you have to assume that David Rockefeller was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Might have been uh, a Rothschild or two on there too. Uh, Warburg. <laughs> There, there could be one of those on there, <laughs> one or two. Um, but uh, imagine such a small group of people really being able to determine the welfare of billions of people. Yeah, yeah, it's and, crazy. And in such a negative way that they, they increasingly have the billions of people working as, as in effect, de facto slaves, debt slaves, and paying interest into their pot so that their proportion of the total wealth keeps on increasing. And it's, uh, well, you know, words fail me when I really try to express how, uh, how bad it is and how desperately important it is to try and do something about it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it is important. It's an important thing. I, I did want to ask you a, a somewhat personal question. Uh, kind of related to this topic and also UFOs. Like, was it a challenge for you uh, deciding to to write about UFOs and to talk about them so openly? For any, did you have any fear of uh, you know losing credibility in, in your sort of in your banking, the, the writing about the banks and that type of thing? Oh well, sure. Um, I I lost credibility. I can't get on a uh, the CBC for. A, to do an interview, they'll have books from people from all over the world. Uh, but when it comes to me, uh, I don't know why they're too busy or uh, whatever. Because you so talk about UFOs, probably right. Yeah, they, they, they don't know what UFO means. No, <laughs> and I'm never going to tell them. But um, it's it's really sad. But when I came to the conclusion in 2005 that there were huge issues involved and we have we're not, we've just scraped the surface here in the yeah in this hour that there are huge issues including if the united states uh, as ben rich suggests 
before he died, um, has developed uh, uh, vehicles that can go to other star systems. They can take E.T. home. Yeah, to take E.T. home. What are they going to do with them? I mean, what's the game plan? Yeah. They're going to take uh, Mrs. Eisenhower to Mars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when she doesn't want to go. <laughs> and and uh, so uh, what are they up to? And that's the reason that the disclosure aspect of it is, is so important, is so that we, the Yeah. Okay, we're back. Sorry about that. So, is there anything more that we have to cover? Or um, I don't know. I yeah. Think... Well, well, uh, well. You're just talking about disclosure. Um, I think in your your speech at the citizens hearing, you were talking about how it should be like what a ninety five or a ninety seven percent disclosure rate. Right. Um, what would could you give us an example of what you think maybe is is would be fit into that five percent that maybe is better for us not to know? I, do, I don't think so, because uh, I think people have to learn about this subject incre incrementally. Okay. And so if, they, if we started the disclosure, it would be two, probably two years or more to get anywhere near the 95%. And at that stage, then we would be able to say, well, maybe we could stand, but maybe we're at a point where we could accept the other two or three or four percent. Um, but I think um, there is so much, there's so much out there that what I'm suggesting holding back is just really to help people get their minds around uh, the broader reality, as I call it, that we live in a, a universe of or cosmos teeming with with life, both uh, animate and inanimate, and that we're just a very small part of it, and we're being manipulated. Uh, and uh, who should we be afraid of? Well, in my opinion, we should be more afraid of our own people than anybody else. Uh, well, is that true? Well, let's find out what the facts are, and uh, and how much governments know, and uh, and what they. Uh, are really planning for us and who they're in collaboration with. So, uh, no, they, this is uh, what I would call a, a, a kind of a, a temporary uh, embargo. Um, I, well, I was trying to think of something you could compare it to, but it's uh, probably not worth groping for something. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. it's, it's just to move incrementally. You know, when you've when you've only got fifty percent of the people that even know about UFOs or even suspect them, you've got quite a lot of selling to do. And when you only have one or two percent who understand the uh, the monetary system, you've got a lot of work to do um, before you have to worry about uh, the last uh, little inch. Would you be okay with amnesty for the for the cabal uh, just to get some of this truth out? Oh, yes, and I recommend that in both of my books, The Light at the End of the Tunnel and The, uh, the Money Mafia and uh, The World in Crisis, <clears throat> because they have committed so many crimes that um, you, you couldn't really expect them to incriminate themselves in both public, at public hearings uh, by telling the truth if they felt they were going to wind up in jail for the 10 years or so for, uh, for parts that they played in it. So I think there has to be a general amnesty. 
And this, of course, uh, as you know from my books, is not a new idea with me. It came uh, originally from uh, Jim Sparks, who got it from the extraterrestrials themselves, who uh, said that they hadn't been responsible for for the worst crimes. Well, they didn't they said any crimes, I guess. It was really our people who had been doing the uh, committing the crimes, but that uh, the only way we were going to get them to uh, talk about it and get this information out in the open was to uh, grant them an amnesty. And uh, and so I think that's uh, that just goes without saying. If you're going to <clears throat> really go into the uh, the whole picture and uh, and do it in a workmanlike fashion. There's no point in starting if you're just uh, if you're going to tongue tie half the witnesses uh, by uh, having them concentrating on protecting their own uh, future rather than rather than uh, telling what they know. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Well, before we start wrapping up, Paul, is there anything else you want to mention to our listeners? I do, I don't uh, think so. Except I'm I I hope people will will get a copy of the money mafia and try and comprehend it. And, uh, and once having read it, then do something about it. And this is going to be my play, my prayer really as well, uh, during this, this, uh, next few months to see if we can get something started in the world, because there are things happening. There are good things happening. Yeah. And I make this, uh, uh clear in the, uh, in the postscript of my book, there are a lot of good things happening, and I've heard of two or three new ones in the last uh, couple of days. But there, there's so much, so far yet to go. This is just a, a beginning. It's a, it's a good start. It's a, it's a role. It's a model. But we have got to uh, have it uh, to become, a, as I call it in the book, a tsunami of changed lives of people who uh, stop worshiping money and uh, stop worshiping power and greed and, uh, and who start caring about their fellow man and woman, uh, about humankind and about the, the preservation of the planet uh, over and above uh, trying to cash in a few bucks and uh, in their stocks and so on. So uh, that's, that's really my, uh, my hope and my prayer that uh, something this year really worthwhile will happen. I kind of think it will. But it's uh, it's only if enough of us to start making enough noise and passing the word along fast enough and far enough to build up that critical mass that uh, is necessary when things are really going to start changing. Yeah, uh, as a final thought, um, we do have a, a lot of listeners in Canada, uh, a lot in the States too, but we do have a, a fair chunk in Canada. Um, what like as a Canadian, what's the first step we can do? Like, is there someone is there someone in pa- running right now that's a better vote? Because it seems like no matter who you vote for, you're getting the same outcome. Well, the thing that in Canada at the moment is the um, is the treaty with the European Union, and um, it is it is just one more thing being sponsored by the cabal. This whole idea of um, of so-called trade agreements, which aren't really trade agreements, they're investment agreements. And they were designed in such a way that they would transfer, <coughs> excuse me, power from the people to the transnational corporations. And because the transnational corporations are mostly uh, controlled by the banks, to ultimately to the banking uh, uh, cartel. So with our, our NAFTA, 
pre-trade and NAFTA, we gave away a lot of power to the transnationals, and we've been sued by quite a few of them because we occasionally got bold enough to want to do something on our own. And this is the next uh, tranche, as they say in the, in the uh, diplomatic language. But this was a big one. That the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership and the European, Canada-European uh, trade agreement, what the Canada-European trade agreement does, it unilaterally changes the Constitution in such a way that the Parliament of Canada loses its overall control of money and banking. Huh. In other words, everything that I've been suggesting will be impossible if the European trade agreement is ratified. Okay. And so I have said it's, it would be uh, high treason in, if that is ratified because it is the most valuable asset that Canada has is the right to create its own money. And if we give it away, it's worse than selling your birthright for a mess of pottage. It is. It would be just an absolute total tragedy, and it would prevent any future government from ever running the country the way it should be run. And so I just hope, and uh, I hope quite a few people are going to get involved on uh, on fighting CETA, uh, which is the abbreviation for the Canada-European Trade Agreement, and, um, and make it clear to members of parliament, of all parties, that this isn't a, this isn't a party uh, proposition. This is Canada versus the cabal. This is Canada versus the money mafia. Hmm. This is Canada versus all that is wrong with the world at the present time, which has to be set right. And if you put it in that perspective, you can just understand how important it really is. So is that the best advice then? Just emailing our members of Congress or do we have a Congress no, in don't. Canada? No, we have a house, a house of representatives. <laughs> e emails are, are just about as useless as anything. Uh, the only thing that they pay any attention to at all is a letter uh, handwritten or typed letter. Like in um, the mail? Absolutely. <laughs> because I, I know um, from, from experience that you can take in a big petition with a thousand names on it and it's just thrown in the waste paper basket. If a representative in the U.S. or a, a member of parliament in Canada gets 100 letters or 150 letters all saying to them, in effect, this is what we want to do. And if you don't do it, we're going to do our very, very best to make sure that you're toast politically. Um, that's when they start to pay attention. Hmm. And it, it's amazing how soon they would start to pay attention if those letters start pouring in and the volume just keeps building up and up and up until you have uh, a volume of letters that is, in this case, uh, what I call a tsunami or a, or a critical mass. And, uh, and it can be stopped, and in my opinion, it has to be stopped, because uh, Canada has no, has no great future, as long as the Bank for International Settlements is telling us that we're going to have to have a sturdy uh, economics, which we've been having the last few years, and which has cost us so, so dearly, not just in the interest we paid, 
but in cutting back on some of the most important projects that our, our country was pursuing. Right on. Well, that's well said, Paul. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we recommend uh, your book and we're going to link to all that in the show notes and we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll push for this and maybe we'll see some, uh, some progress. And we, you know, we hope you have good travels, nice, safe travels at the end of this week. And uh, we wish you Hello? all the best. Yeah. Can you hear me? Again now, yes, yeah, so you're cut off yeah. for a minute. Yeah, we'll have to get you back for uh, for round two here uh, in the in the near future and continue the chat. Yeah. All right, okay, Paul. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh, yeah, heaven help us all. Yeah, thanks a lot. We'll 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 uh, talk to you soon, and we'll link to everything in the show notes. And have uh, safe travels. Good, I appreciate okay. it. Welcome back to the Grand America Show. That was our chat with the Honorable Paul Hellier. Oh, that was an eye-opener, eh? Yeah. It's kind of like what we got into with Hugh Dez, and we've got into it a few times, but he he really makes it kind of easy to wrap your head around. Yeah. That's what I liked about it. I've been hearing that for a while from him, and I, want, I really, I've been in contact on and off for him with a, about it for about a year, so it was really good to finally have him on the show and talk about all that. I've been yearning to talk about the debt-based economy in real simple terms, right? Like, instead of the banks loaning you money to interest, the government prints their own money. Like, what the fuck? What a simple concept, right? Um, but I tried to address this with other guests, and, you know, I keep bringing it up, right? And, and people just... Uh, I don't know. I don't seem to want to talk about it or address it at that simple level. Right. It's depressing. No, I don't think, I, I just don't think people get, I think we're so entrenched in a debt based that we can't have money without be, it being loaned to us with interest that we're so far out of the paradigm of, <clears throat> you know, real money being printed uh, with backing, right. Instead of based on debt. I think we're just, we can't see it too far gone. I well, we so. haven't never known anything else. A whole generation of people that have never known. Yeah, but you think we'd have enough collective memory and, and historical knowledge to know that that system might have worked somewhere else. Yeah, but there's fucking Big Bang theories on tonight. Yeah, that's true. So uh, it was nice to talk about it with him. Um, uh, and the other thing that really hit home with me was the hundreds of trillions of dollars in that uh the interest rate swaps like the derivatives market like you're measuring so okay you've got this big thing up there hundreds of trillions of dollars being you know traded as an industry up here and how can any of those other measurements below it really mean anything with that much going on up there doesn't that kind of throw everything out of whack you'd think so we don't count trillions of fucking lot of thousand million billions like I don't want to come across stupid, but it's a thousand billion, which is a billion is a thousand million, I think, right? Yeah, which is a thousand thousands, which is a thousand dollars. Yeah. So that's like stacking dollars to the moon and back many times, I bet. Take a dollar and times it by a thousand four thousand. times. Yeah. That's three times. Yeah. Now I'm confused. Anyways, lots of money. 
So thanks to Paul for coming on to the show. And we'll link to his, all his stuff there, the Money Mafia. Yeah, he's a warrior for sure. Yeah. Was he 90, 91? 90? Something yeah, like something, yeah he's, he's getting up there. Fighting a good fight. Yeah. I mean, you know, coming out with the UFOs and the banking system and all that, it must be, uh, you know, one thing we didn't have a chance to get into him with is the global warming thing, which is probably okay because I think he's, uh, I think he's on board with the with the climate change global warming fiasco. Most people are. Most people are. Yeah. <laughs> See what happens there too. In ten years, when we're freezing our asses off, we got RPJ. We'll, we'll just move down to Reds. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be too bad. That's right. So, yeah, who do we got coming up next? Uh, live chat. We got uh, Sunday. Sunday Evie. at 4 o'clock Eastern time. Check out the backstage. I'll update it tonight. That's uh, uh, Evie Lorgan on Anomalous Trauma. Yeah. And then Connor Habib on Tuesday night. And 10 p.m. Eastern. And then the Tuesday after is who? Uh, Art Markman. That's right. The yeah. Habit Guy. Yeah, the Habit Guy. Bingo. Oh. So uh, email your feedback, please, and synchronicities, UFO sightings, uh, trip reports, whatever whatever you want. All that fun stuff. To Graham. Graham at GrahamAmerica.com. Graham. G-R-A-H-A-M. Yeah. Uh, find us on YouTube. Find us on Twitter. Uh, like the Facebook page. Leave us a review. You were going to say something else about the newsletter, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the live feed. If you want to, if you always forget about the live feed, uh, you sign up for the newsletter. Uh, starting next week, Justin's going to start popping out a reminder on interview days. So you'll get an email uh, that morning saying, hey, interview tonight. And uh, yeah, that'll help out. Yeah, Sign up your friends. That's a good idea. Might as well time it around the, the live show, right? Exactly. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet unison. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, big thanks to Justin for helping out. And uh, big thanks to everyone who helps out and uh, listens. Check out the support page, grabamerica.ca slash support. See you next week.
the sultans We're the sultans of swing 